0: STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with the 2021 Black Engineer of the Year, Gerald Johnson. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Gerald Johnson. As Executive Vice President of Global Manufacturing for General Motors, Johnson is responsible for the budget, quality and safety performance for over 100,000 employees, and the production of millions of vehicles sold globally, just to name a few. Aside from his dedication to professional growth, Johnson has a passion for helping others enrich their lives. In 2018, Gerald started The Gathering Church with his wife. The Gathering Church helps support inner city children, teenagers, and the homeless population across Detroit. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lengo Dean.
1: Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and welcome everyone to this episode of high tech Sunday. We are again in for a really great conversation with today's guest, Mr. Gerald Johnson. How are you doing, Mr.
2: Johnson. Mark, I'm doing excellent. Hopefully
1: you're doing well. I am, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the time that we have together. Uh, Since it's still January, I'll say Happy New Year to you. Hope that 2021 has already been uh, uh, good to you and to yours, and that uh, it's only a glimpse of great things to come. As we get ourselves kind of settled in for today's conversation and uh, get a chance to know a little bit more about you and your journey. There's a whole lot that uh, we would love to learn. So we'll get things started by actually asking you, if you don't mind, to share with us a little bit about yourself. If you were to give kind of the elevator uh, scenario of who Gerald Johnson is, what would you say? Who are you?
2: I'm a kid from the south side of Cleveland that's living a life that's beyond what he ever thought was possible, wasn't in his realm of possibility. I'm enjoying that. And the journey to get there is one of constant challenge and a willingness to adapt and change.
1: Wow. One of the things that I do as we're listening to our guests week after week is to try to capture what I call headlines, those things that really kind of just hit you upside the head and it sticks with you. And when I heard you say that you are living uh, beyond what you could have imagined, that certainly is something that we're gonna dig into more. What is it, would you say, at this point in your journey that drives you? What is your passion? What is your mission? What is it that motivates you to get up and keep doing what you do every day?
2: Mark, uh, excellent question. And I'm extremely blessed because I have many passions and I get to feed all of them. Passion one. uh, uh, My faith expressed through uh, our church in helping uh, young kids uh, working through elementary, uh, working with teenagers that have uh, uh, experienced trouble and are in, uh, in a home that we, that's called the Covenant House, and then even men who are associated with Mariners Inn who are working their way through homelessness. That's passion one, and, and that's an expression of my faith. Passion two, my wife and my family, I have seven children. Yes, I said seven. Three girls, four boys. I used to drink coffee coming home from work so that I could keep up with the energy in my house, but they're still my passion. My youngest is 20 now. My oldest is 28. Um, and watching them grow into adulthood is, um, a a, a blessing and it is a passion of mine to help them succeed better, faster than, than I would have, or could have in, in, in in the same age bracket. Thirdly, I do get up every morning with the, responsibility and awareness that I am responsible for the safety, the well-being, the capability and performance over 130,000 people globally who are doing work for General Motors inside of manufacturing. That is a burden that I carry, and I carry it with uh, a great sense of honor and privilege, but also with the responsibility, and I try and convey that to my team. But I get up with a passion around making sure all that is going well. People are operating safely. People are uh, uh, confident and feeling secure about their, their income and, and their job opportunities. Uh, people are growing and being developed and their capabilities being acknowledged. And then uh, lastly, that they're winning. They're delivering and they feel good about what they're accomplishing every day. So, so that's my other passion. My last passion, if you will, is I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. And it broke my heart this weekend when they lost to the, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Wow. Uh, so I, I'll 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 leave the Browns alone. I'll try to. We're we're here in upstate New York, and so it's uh, you know we're we're very grateful uh, that the Buffalo Bills are are coming back and they're facing uh, the nemesis of the Browns, uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs this week, and we're hoping that their outcome will be different than Cleveland's. Uh, so I'll leave that alone. Uh, but the passion the passion for the expression of your faith through the church, the passion for your wife and your family. And by the way, you get the prize. My wife and I have five. And people look at us like, wow, what were you all thinking? Now I can tell them that Mr. Gerald Johnson, he won the prize with seven. Amen. And so uh, the, the wife and yeah, family-
2: You can say you know one guy crazier.
1: <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll, people will interpret it, uh, I'll say one guy who's more blessed, they'll still say crazy, but you and I will know what what what, what the truth is. Um, the responsibility <laughs> and awareness uh, that you have uh, for this really daunting challenge to be uh, holding the reins, if you will, for the safety, for the um, well-being, for the career success. Uh, And you said even happiness, the satisfaction for some 130,000 people. When we heard that in the intro, I was blown away. I think that the last time I checked, there weren't 130,000 people in the entire county that I live in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so, so that that folks will just give you an idea. This is a a, a, a little state that that uh, Mr. Johnson is running, uh, and it's a passion, and I'm excited to hear you say that. And then also, uh, again, we've already talked about the passion for uh, the NFL. But let me let me drill down a little bit on on two of these uh, industry. How did you land in the field that you are in? And also, how is it that you came to be not only a man of faith, but a servant leader uh, that is responsible for shepherding others? So talk to us about how you came into uh, the industry, and then we'll talk about ministry.
2: Um, coming into the industry was uh, was strictly providence. And if there are young uh, folks listening to this, um, uh this is probably not the best way to get there but it it was my way there and again i give it to uh providential guidance here but i sat down with a guidance counselor and i she asked me what do i want to be when i grow up if you well, i was a junior in high school my answer was very simple and direct coming from where i came from tell me what makes money Hmm. she said well engineers make good money i said then i want to be an engineer and it really was that simple. She, she looked at my grades in math and science, decided that I could do that. Uh, I subsequently started down the journey of hunting for colleges that uh, fit that uh, requirement. General Motors Institute at the time, now Kettering University, uh, responded to my application. And in their letter, they uh, described to me this co-op scenario, which would allow me to pay for my college, as well as uh, you know, hone my skills Uh, through a 12-week on, 12-week off um, college work program uh, for four and a half years. Given that I had um, not many resources to uh, pay my way through college, that sounded like a winning uh, scenario for me, as well as, of course, the reputation of the school and the reputation of the company. So I did it, and um, that was a great decision on my part. And then I got excited because I enjoyed it. And particularly, I enjoyed working inside of a plant and working with people to solve problems at a high pace uh, to deliver results and to go home every day knowing, you know, if, what the score was, if you won or if you didn't win, and then having the opportunity to come back in the mall and work harder at it and and, and do better. That thrilled me and that kind of led me into the role that I still do today in manufacturing because. I do have not only a passion but also have an appreciation for the people doing work inside those plants all over the world Um, it's not the easiest work uh, to do and so i have respect for the difficulty i have respect for uh the responsibility they carry to make sure they execute it with quality because many of the things that we put into a vehicle are designed to work to protect people who are in those vehicles so you, when you're driving your family, and when I'm driving my family around, the safety uh, systems, the uh, uh, the airbag systems, the sensing systems, the seat belt anchors, and all that has to work well every time because it could mean the difference between life or death. And I get, uh, we get, the company gets, I should say, uh, letters with pictures of people who survived and walked away from uh, crashes that, um, frankly, Uh, without all that safety protection, it wouldn't have been a walk away from. So I respect what the people do and how they have to do it intricately, reliably, millions of times every year in order for us to uh, serve our customers uh, in the market. So that that drives my passion. They're good people doing good things, uh, working hard, um, and they deserve all the support they can get and my best thinking to help make sure that they are safe that their well-being is taken care of, that their capability and ability to develop themselves is, is what it can be and that they are winning. That's why I do it and I'm passionate and about it. I get excited talking to you about it.
1: I can tell, and, and so it, as if that weren't enough, now here we are some almost three years uh, since you planted the church. What, were, were you not busy enough? What, what was that all about? <laughs>
2: You know, my wife and I, we talk about that, too. Well, what were we thinking? <laughs> uh, but as, as any man would tell you, at least I hope, uh, when you believe that there's a call and that there's an assignment and that there's, again, a responsibility. And if I was going to describe myself uh, in words that most people describe me, being responsible is, is me. And so I think it's my responsibility to contribute in every way that I can. And this was one more way uh, that I could contribute. Uh, I've been an ordained minister for over 30 years. I've been uh, various levels of ministry and responsibilities through various churches as I've moved around with General Motors and found new church homes and communities with every move. And at this point, it made sense that it was time for us to step fully into this responsibility of pastoring. And we began the Gathering Church, and that was a journey uh, that started early in 18 and finally culminated in August of 18 uh, for our inaugural uh opening service and it has been a great ride it's another community i feel passionate about good people uh trying to serve a good god trying to live a good life and whatever we can do to help them do that um, makes me feel good
1: wow that that really is Uh, A tremendous, tremendous example that you just gave us. Uh, It's interesting every now and then I find that there are some commonalities that I share with our guests. And uh, I actually uh, was licensed in ministry back in 1986 uh, and then ordained in 1998. I'm sorry, 1996, so 10 years later, uh, and actually was consecrated to uh, the bishopric uh, 14 years ago now. So uh, I am a pastor. My wife and I founded a ministry here in our area uh, 23 years ago. uh, And so I'm sure that you and I would have some interesting conversations um, pertaining to how our corporate life, if you will, is informed by our ministerial servant leadership. When you think about your upbringing, uh, where is it that that whole spiritual journey actually got started?
2: You know, I don't have the story about a a praying grandmother or anything like that. Um, I was raised in a Catholic household and I use the word Catholic loosely. Uh, we were the Easter-only household. Um, but uh, when, it, when I was in college, I encountered a, a young man who uh, became my best friend, who became my best man, um, and has been a, one of the most significant parts of my journey, uh, as, as one individual can, can be. And uh, he was a man of faith. And there I was, 19 years old. Uh, we were having that uh, late uh, late night dorm room conversation, if you will. And he, he laid some things on me to think about. And uh, I went to bed thinking about it and woke up wanting to know more. And that was the beginning of my journey. That would have been 1983. Um, by the end of that semester, I went home and, and went to the only church I knew of, which was New Light Baptist Church, which was around the corner from my house. And I started going to New Light Baptist Church. Um, um, got baptized at New Light Baptist uh, Baptist Church. And as is my nature, just going was not enough. I needed to know. I needed to understand. I needed to investigate. Uh, and so, you know, I got a hold of my first Bible and had my first mentorship, if you will, with a with a pastor. And yeah, the more I learned, the more I cared. The more I cared, the more I learned. The more I dug, the more I felt I understood. And most importantly, the more I felt like I had clarity of purpose for my life. That is awesome.
1: Uh, so, so my headline there is you you uh, found new life at New Life, uh, and mm-hmm. it hasn't stopped yet. Uh, so let let's talk about uh, the the corporate side of uh, Gerald Johnson. Um, You are an executive vice president uh, for global manufacturing at General Motors. You've talked a little bit about uh, how life impacting your work is. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that role as an an executive vice president.
2: So um, becoming an executive vice president brings actually two roles together. Uh, I rely on my team to uh manage and understand the issues of the day to uh, resolve them and escalate as necessary um a greater part of my role is thinking about tomorrow and so when i talk about uh, being responsible for the well-being of, of uh, 130,000 people that's me looking down the road five and ten years and making sure we're mapping a path that's going to give them the greatest opportunity for a future um, five or ten years down the road uh, because there's, you know, there's an operator, there's a, a lady working on uh, the assembly lines loading steering wheel columns into the vehicle, and she has no idea that I'm making a decision today that affects her well-being five years from now. That's, that's the bigger part of my role as an executive vice president, working with the leadership team to look down the road and plot a path that's going to win for the corporation, that's going to win for all its employees, that's going to win for the communities that we do work in and support, and that's going to win in the hands of customers so that we can continue to do so. That's, that's what we worry about, that's what we think about, and that's what we do. Of course, now there are things that show up sometimes, like a pandemic, and you do have to be very engaged in what's going on today and how you're going to pull together protocols that are going to ensure people are safe and give people the confidence to return to work and continue that hard work, that quality work, that reliable work to deliver uh, products to our customers, which we think we're very good at. So that th- those are the things that we look at, those are the things that we worry about, and those are the things that we try and uh, plan for, again, to make sure everyone is going to have a future, customers, communities, employees, company. Thank
1: you for giving us that insight. You've talked to us uh, a little bit about how it feels to be responsible for, again, uh, uh, um, a city-sized group of uh, employees uh, at General Motors. And this is global, uh, if I'm understanding correctly. So uh, can you tell us how or if Pastor Johnson, Minister Johnson, and the lessons from that servant leadership have been brought to bear as an executive at General
2: Motors. Yeah, um, great question, Mark, and I, and I get that question often. Honestly, um, it, it usually is also inclusive of the whole idea: how do you get all these things done? How do you play all these roles? And and what I tell uh, people: I don't play all these roles. I play one role. I play my role. And what I really mean by that, I'm very blessed to be able to say that all these things are, are all overlap. I don't compartmentalize. I don't shift from uh, corporate responsibility to, you know, pastoral responsibility to, you know, helping men, you know, working through homelessness to being a dad. Nope, it's all one. And, and finding that being me in the moment, to face whatever is in front of me, whether that's a corporate challenge or a, a corporate recognition or a corporate accomplishment, whether that's a, a challenge at home or, uh, or, you know, an accomplishment at home or something that's uh, to be celebrated, uh, that if I'm tuned into me, tuned into God, at peace, at my best, with his wisdom, that everything in front of me just becomes the thing that's in front of me. Um, a while ago, you may have heard of uh, Pastor Miles Monroe. He's he's gone on to be with the Lord now. Um, but I never forget um uh, nineteen oh nineteen ninety-two, ninety no, I'm sorry, nineteen eighty-nine, I got a hold of his book on purpose. And I listened. no, it actually was his message on purpose. And I really spent probably two years of my life trying to settle down and pray for wisdom and understanding and clarity on what's my purpose and what am I to do and what's my gifted capability so that I can apply it over and over and over again. And I got insight in that window of time of what that was and I just keep using it over and over and over again. I am a gifted problem solver and I just keep putting problems in front of me and it doesn't matter if they are marital problems and counseling that's needed or if they're technical problems and getting the plan up and running or if they're uh, pandemic problems and what it takes to figure your way through it and i am extremely tapped into a particular aspect of god that is the wisdom of god i often ask my kids what do you like most about god and one would say that you know uh, he sees everything and, and you know I know he's watching me. Or another is that you know, I can sense his love and, and, and his presence. For me, it's his wisdom. I know God has answers to everything and I simply try and stay close enough with him to hear what the answers are for what I'm facing right now so that I can plug into it and do my best with it. So that's how I pull it all one together and that's how it works together. And now in terms of leadership, it's easy, right? It's the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you just do that, leading people, working with people as a team, uh, standing in front of people and and communicating, all those things get a lot easier if they come from this common deep well of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I care about you, I don't have a problem talking to you. I don't have a problem helping you. I don't have a problem explaining something to you. uh, I don't have a problem, uh, for that matter, telling you uh, or correcting you even, because it all is based out of uh, a desire to communicate to your well-being. So that's how I keep it all together, that's how I, it works out for me in oneness, and that's how I try and tap in and stay tapped into God so that his wisdom is working. Favorite wow. book? Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i am absolutely grateful for for that explanation that you just shared uh we at our church have a bible study on wednesdays uh and it just so happens that one of the topics we tackled yesterday was how do you know your purpose and uh so the answer that you just gave i'm going to have to Uh, tell everybody, tune in to High Tech Sunday when uh, Gerald Johnson's episode is airing and you will get some reinforcement about purpose. It isn't the idea that you have to put one hat on and uh, then take that off and put the other hat on. You said you play your role and as you remain tapped into God, you recognize, and this was powerful, you are a gifted problem solver. That is absolutely a great capsule commentary on how you can do all the things that God has entrusted to your care to actually do. So uh, again, it, it, it was just a really great capture uh, for all of us to think about the different roles that we play, the different hats that we wear. Uh, it's, it's really us doing what it is that God has entrusted us to do as we stay tapped into him so thank you for that there is kind of a a drum roll playing in my head right now because not only is it a a pleasure and a singular honor to uh, get to talk to Gerald Johnson the executive and Gerald Johnson the pastor but if that weren't enough you are the 35th Black Engineer of the Year, and so that is just again uh, uh, mind-blowingly cool. Uh, and so, can you can you tell us uh, about the moment that you learned that you had been selected for this prestigious award?
2: Absolutely, I can. I'm sitting at my counter having a conversation with my daughter uh, Mariah, and. She's my deep thinker, so we were probably talking about something deep. And I get a phone call from Mary Barra, who actually, uh, Tyrone Taborn's on the call, and Tyrone goes on to start asking me about some problem he has with his Cadillac. And I'm still (laughs) partly in work mode, so I'm going in the problem-solving mode. And uh, finally, Tyrone, he backed out of it. he says, okay, that wasn't quite working the way I hoped it would. And he went on to tell me. It was a great honor, of course. I was... uh, uh, not expecting. Of course, these aren't the things you think about. Um, These are the things that just kind of show up, as I say. Uh, I didn't get up that morning thinking, hey, today it'd be cool if I get a call and I'm told I'm the 35th Black Engineer of the Year. Nope, it just showed up, but it is an honor. I've been going to uh, Bayer for decades, and and, um, I've always been impressed with the, the amount of talent and giftedness that's in the room, that's in the Building in the hotel at that time it would be virtually this time, but but all that talent and capability, all the people who get up and speak with great eloquence, and the accolades and all the uh, accomplishments that are sitting on uh, on the Diaz or or for that matter in the audience, and so it's a great honor to me that uh, someone looked at, looked at this life that I've been uh, walking, this journey that I've been on for a while, and and the work that I've been doing, and and pause to say. Hey, that's worth acknowledging. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful. What, what was funny? My daughter was sitting there; she's listening to this conversation. And I, I get off the phone. She says, "So you're the 35th Black Engineer of the Year?" And I said, "That's what they tell me, honey." She says, "That's pretty cool. There's only yeah. There's only been 35 of you. There's been 46 presidents. That's more rare than presidents." And I'm like, uh. "That's one way of looking at it, I guess." But. <laughs> <laughs> presidency of course has a longer horizon to it but i'll take it uh so but uh every year i go to bay i take one of my children with me because i want them to see and be as amazed as i am with the talent that shows up in in the the energy in the room um and and the genius and and quite frankly um uh, the blackness that's present at at a Baya conference. And so she was very aware of what it meant. She had been there with me before. And so she gave me uh, a great big hug and congratulations uh, right in the moment that meant a lot to me.
1: That is so cool. And it is definitely the case that we uh, find so much inspiration uh, in the midst of the awesomeness uh, at BAYA. Uh, and I've adopted the the very same habit of uh, having uh, my daughter, in particular, our oldest, who is uh, an engineer uh, like me. Uh, she started coming to Black Engineer of the Year when she was in high school. And it really inspired her. Uh, and so that connection uh, begins to be one that's familial. This year, the theme of the conference is stand up, step up, make the change. And it's a call to action during what you and I know uh, is a very complicated time, a very unprecedented time still and and General Motors has definitely stepped up uh, this year and made, Change. They are a change agent. Can you tell us about some of uh, GM's efforts this year that has helped the country
2: during this pandemic? Uh, absolutely. And uh, first of all, I love the theme. and I couldn't have picked a better theme to match the year that you know I'm being honored with the uh, 35th Bay Award. But uh, my company. I'm. I'm. I'm so proud of them. Uh, we, we all got this pandemic on our doorstep, and none of us were expecting, and I don't think any of us could have predicted how, how much it will affect our lives over the last year. Uh, and as, as it is um, personally, so as it is professionally. And so right away, we began to work on having protocols pulled together. Um, because my role is global, because our company is global, and because the pandemic kind of took a pattern through Asia to Europe and then to the U.S. We did have a precursor and have an early start on looking at what it took to protect uh, ourselves uh, as, as individuals, but also to protect ourselves as employees. And so the protocols and, and, and the equipment that we onboarded to start producing masks in seven days uh we found equipment and we began producing masks and our first order business wasn't to produce masks for our own benefit those first masks went to first responders medical professionals and then we added to that um, uh, teachers and schools and hospitals and 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 then we kept growing and adding capacity until we're able to continue to provide uh the support to our communities but also provide mass production for all our employees as we began to return to work in May after being, um, uh, being out for a little over two and a half months. Um, in addition to that, on uh, Wednesday night, I get a call from Mary Barr and she says, hey, I just took a call from a group who's interested in asking if we would be willing to work with a ventilator supplier company to help them uh, at that time break the bottlenecks to allow them to produce more ventilators course that's my supervisor I said but of course I'm interested and so uh, we got on the phone call I had uh, our, ma- our vice president of manufacturing North America Phil Kinley uh, join me on the call uh, that that Friday he took a team of engineers out to uh, Seattle where Ventec the ventilator company's uh, operations were uh, by that Saturday our um, purchasing team had all the part number specifications and we're going out across our automotive network to identify suppliers who would begin to uh, uh, produce components for the ventilator so by monday we had 98 percent of those parts sourced wow i had manufacturing engineers uh, already processing uh to produce uh we were already in kokomo indiana which is where we decided that we would convert our manufacturing capacity Uh, to start producing these ventilators. By that following weekend, we had all the equipment show up. By that following week, we are hiring and training people. The bottom line is in 30 days, we stood up a ventilator manufacturing operation and we shipped our first um, pallet of ventilators to a hospital in Chicago. And we kept producing and adding people and equipment to the tune of 30,000 ventilators uh, to the country to help get through. Uh, the challenge of the uh, therapeutics of this pandemic. Uh, So I'm proud of the team for what they accomplished. I'm proud of our organization for kicking in and and basically donating our our capability and our capacity and our technical wherewithal. And then, of course, partnering with Ventech to produce ventilators. And every ventilator we knew had a life attached to it. And we're proud to be able to do it.
1: That is uh, such a great reminder uh, all of us probably will remember uh, close to a year ago when those announcements were made and GM was right at the forefront when it came to switching those uh, lines over and uh, producing the ventilators and uh, the uh, masks and and the the, the the work that was done uh, it just it felt bigger than industry. It felt like an American response uh, that we were so blessed to have uh, a GM uh, to step up and lead the charge. I I am very proud, proud is the word, of, of the role that my company, Corning Incorporated, has played in a similar fashion. Uh, but it, the, the uh, lives, that were saved because of what you just described is is absolutely uh, a a testament to not only uh, the values that GM must espouse, but also uh, it's a testament to the ingenuity uh, that people don't necessarily think about when they get behind the wheel of a car. Um, And so thinking about cars, what GM continues to do that's new, uh, even in the midst of, of what we've all been through, is also exciting. Uh, you've made a commitment to electric transportation. Uh, why why was it that that commitment was so important to General Motors? And, and what impact do you think that
2: effort will have on the world? Thanks, Mark. As every event uh, has a context. Uh, sometimes we, 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 we take the event as if, as if it were, were standalone, but it's actually in a context and, if you will, in a flow. So when Mary Barr took over the role as CEO of General Motors and subsequently chairman of General Motors as well and reshape our purpose, and so this is going to dovetail to my earlier conversation about my own personal journey for purpose, uh, we had a corporate journey for rethinking purpose. And that purpose boiled down to a new mission around zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero uh, congestion. And all that was to say producing vehicles is not a purpose, it's an outcome. We needed to know why we were going to produce vehicles. And once you knew why you were going to produce vehicles, you could answer the question why certain technologies were going to be a part of your portfolio. And once you put zero emissions in and start doing the research around that and looking at what technologies are going to enable that to become true, you end up at electric vehicles. Now, we have other technologies and we're looking at fuel cells and hydrogen and natural gas. I mean, so we have, but it became clear that electric uh, vehicle, electric battery technology was going to be the way uh, that we were going to pursue our mission of uh, zero emissions. And, and so we started that journey. So when we show up, you know, in 2020, uh, it's, it's part of a progression and momentum of that decision uh, that goes back to, you know, 2013, 14 timeframe. And so we want to be that. We believe in the science of climate change. And so we believe our contribution, our responsibility, uh, and now our mission and purpose is to not just produce 3 million uh, vehicles in, uh, in the U.S. to a to, uh, U.S. market here or, you know, 6 million vehicles around the globe, but to do it in a way that has zero impact on, on the environment, on, on the earth, and still gives everyone the freedom that they love in their vehicles and the style and the functionality that vehicles have come uh, to mean and provide for us in our lives.
1: That is so exciting to hear. And needless to say, all of us are in a, a one way or another going to be impacted by this new innovation. And so I'm just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, fanboying a little bit over here. Before I uh, hand off to uh, my co-host Lango Dean, can you really quickly tell us a little bit about uh, GM's Factory Zero?
2: Be glad to. So Factory Zero, of course, connects to the mission of 000 and also connects to our history. Uh, General Motors began in Flint, Michigan, and and we named that factory Factory One. Mm. It no longer produces, it's now a historical site that we use for other purposes, but that's Factory One. When we decided that we're going to launch uh, our EV future in total, We selected the uh, Detroit Hamtramck Facility and we renamed that Factory Zero. Representative of a new company, being born out of a new facility, uh, connected to a mission that has three zeros attached to it that will define what we do and what we invest in for uh, decades to come, and would also connect 2,000 people to the mission that we call uh, General Motors. Again, Zero Crashes, Saving Lives. Zero emissions saving the planet, zero congestion saving our precious commodity time. And that's what we do. So Factory wow. Zero is going to be the most uh, uh, technological uh, factory um, it, when it starts up later this year, and we've already announced and shown the uh, Hummer EV, which is just a mind-blowing uh, vehicle of both capability and beauty uh, that um, <laughs> is evidenced by the fact that we've already sold our first year's production. Wow, wow,
1: I, I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that one. Uh, so as you were speaking of, of what the zero 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 means, you know, what came to mind was go big or go home. It sounds like General Motors is, is uh, go big or go bigger. Uh, and so uh, it's really exciting to hear about what's coming down the pike for you all. I'm gonna try to compose myself for a little bit and I'm gonna hand things over uh, to Lango Dean and I'll be back in a little while uh, to continue the conversation. But for now, Lango, how's it going?
3: Going good, Dr. Vaughn, the sun's shining and um, it's a great day.
0: You're listening to High Tech Sunday featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, the 2021 Black Engineer of the Year, Gerald Johnson. This week's episode is brought to you by the Baya STEM Conference. Now, a word from our sponsor.
4: The opportunities ahead, the visions, and the dreams. I
0: will be the last of all.
4: The hope of what's in reach. Imagine the possibilities. It's the essence of science, of technology, world of careers unleashed everything you need to bring out the best in your career you can get at beya beya becoming everything you are
0: Again, this week's episode is brought to you by the Baya STEM Conference. Now, back to the show.
3: Uh, Welcome, Mr. Johnson. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Um, I tagged two things that you mentioned when you were talking to Dr. Vaughn uh one was the very simple and direct question that you asked your guidance counselor and the whole story behind that you've talked to us before and the second thing that i tagged was a comment that your daughter made about having 35 black engineers um, as opposed to having 46 um, presidents of the united states so i want you to imagine now one of those three children in your background, six, seven years, and they're going to be what, 17, 18 in the year 2032. And we're ready to install our 46th Black Engineer of the Year. What advice would you give them in terms of how they should make a career choice? And they're not sure. Many young people are not sure. And like you said, coming from where many of us come from, you don't know what you don't know. So what, what advice would you give them?
2: Yeah, uh, like that, that's, that's the billion-dollar question for every teenager uh, going through that window uh, where lots of challenges are coming, on, coming at them. Transition is waiting for them at the other side of high school graduation. Hormones are aflame. Girlfriends become a thing. I mean, I really feel for 17-year-olds and, and what they have to uh, contend with. And all by the while, some adults sitting across from them saying, what do you want to be in 30 years? The uncertainty of that future and the uncertainty of the and reliability of that question uh, can be daunting. And so I, I reshape the question to who are you? Settle in on who you are. And who you are will take you to who you want to be. Now, that sounds a little. Um, um, nebulous, if you will, and, and, and not defined. I mean, how, y- is there somewhere I apply to a college that um, uh, has a, a major and is a stalwart in the area of self-identity? The answer is no. Uh, that's a God thing. So my first uh, exhortation is somehow settle in and figure out why you're here and what grace and gift you're carrying and what that's supposed to mean to the planet that you, and the window of time that you get to walk this planet. And then you can start to say, and I think that could be most useful in this role or that role. Um, it's, it's, it's more important for them to be at peace with knowing who they are and what they're good at. So that they can say, I am, not I am an engineer, not I am a teacher, not I am a psychiatrist, a doctor, lawyer. Uh, I am a problem solver. I am uh, passionate about people. I am uh, uh, good uh, with my hands, and, and, and that, that may take me someplace. I am. You know, really being able to answer the I am question is much more important so that you can point it into something that seems to align to it. And if that's not uh, clear enough, ask some of the wisest people around you to help you starts with parents, maybe a close friend, maybe a guidance counselor or a teacher, but don't try and take this question on alone. There are people who've been observing your life since you showed up and before you realize you were here even. Ask them the question about what they saw when you were five, what they saw when you were seven or eight, what they saw when you were nine or 10, and how does that help you then decide what you're going to put your energy towards in terms of titles that uh, hopefully make good use of your capability. Long-winded answer, uh, but um, I really think that there are very few people who have the luxury of saying, I know I want to be a doctor. I'm glad for you. Uh, I'm glad that you saw that and have connected with that enough. You probably are very clear. But for those who aren't clear, like these three kids in my in my backdrop who are, I don't know, eight years old now, second graders, and not even thinking about anything, just being, they think, I think they need uh, the comfort of knowing that they are relevant as they are, and the only question is how to apply who they are, not necessarily to seek the title. Sorry, I would love to say STEM, 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 you know, and I believe in STEM because I believe if you're a problem solver, STEM is a great place for you because that's what the STEM fields help you do. Uh, but helping uh, a young person figure out uh, their base capability uh, before you try and ask them what they want to do, I think is a much more relevant question.
3: That's wonderful. I love that passionate answer. And it's, it's very simple. Who you are will take you to where you want to be and ask people along the way, ask people who've known you a long time, people who love you who watch you grow, take advice from them and and that will kind of help you along the path. Well, what if you're good at cars, you love working with cars, you're passionate about cars and you're interested in a career in the auto industry? What are Mm -hmm. the steps that you need to take to prepare yourself for success? The auto industry has changed so much over the years. You were just talking about all the wonderful things that are happening at GM. So, what tips would you give? What kind of classes should uh, people, young people, take? Um, what lessons uh, should they be paying attention to right now?
2: Sure. Um, and, it, and if I could, you, you started out the question, and, it, and there was a time where it would say, you know, I'm interested in cars. I like cars. Uh, I like tinkering and messing with cars. I like designing. I like I like how they look. I like, I love automobiles. And therefore, I'm going to go into the automotive industry. Can I just broaden that just for a moment? The automotive industry is uh, has a place for people who like people, uh, because we 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 lead people. It has a place for people who uh, like software and like programming, because uh, heck, truth be told, there's more computing capacity in the vehicle of today, and even more so in the vehicles of tomorrow, um, than, than uh, internal combustion. Uh, capability uh, or mechanical capabilities even and so there's a broad network and so at first I'd say broaden your mind there's a place for everybody somewhere in this industry from mechanical mindsets to electrical mindsets to human uh, mindsets to marketing uh, and, and, and just knowledge of people, EQ capability uh, it's, it's all there. It's a full spectrum uh, for people to, to consider but If you are very particular to a STEM field, it's the math, it's the science, it's the things that exercise your mind to solve problems. I often tell people this, all of us are here to solve a problem uh, in life and even on the job. Everyone inside of General Motors is here to solve a certain problem or a certain set of problems, uh, whether that's a communication problem, whether that's a leadership problem whether that's a strategy problem or a technical problem or how to reduce the cost of a technology problem everyone's here solving problems so the base capability of being able to think your way through certain sets of problems and the skills or excuse me the high school classes that allow you to do that uh, philosophy and uh, uh, theory of knowledge is a great class uh, because it helps you just to think about things and to think about how to organize uh, information in a way that's going to allow you to see your way to a solution or see your way to an improvement or see your way to a conclusion. And that's the base capability I think everyone needs to develop. And you can develop it in different areas of expertise. But by all means, learn how to take in information, sort it down into things that are going to give you insight and then how to take those insights and either communicate it to someone to take action or to be able to take action yourself. So, uh, uh, there there are classes that help you think through problem solving. In fact, I would almost argue uh, with some very uh, narrow degree, uh, uh, narrowly focused degree programs, going to college is really all about figuring how to do just that, take information, assemble it in some way that gives you an insight so that you can take a particular action You learn how to do that skill set, you can apply it in any field. Theory of knowledge, math, science, all those things help you develop that capability.
3: That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Mr. Johnson. In your conversation with Dr. Bond in the beginning, you talked about um, uh, entering a program where you, the co-op program where you worked 12, you were 12 weeks on and then 12 weeks off. Are there any other GM programs, similar GM programs, internships available that can steer young people toward in GM specifically?
2: Yes, absolutely. And so thank you, uh, Lingo, for bringing that back up. I think the opportunity to learn and do work uh, relevant to the things you're learning about is a huge advantage. I found it personally to be an advantage for me Uh, early on in my career and still paying dividends and so any student that has uh, interest uh, first of all uh, Kettering University still has the same program they had 35 years ago when I was there in terms of 12 weeks of uh, school and curriculum uh, and then 12 weeks of work and usually that work is applicable to the curriculum and so you have this constant um, melding of theory and application that I think gives people a head start and an advantage. And if not a co-op, then internship programs. General Motors does both. Internships that allow you to uh, make use of your summer uh, timeframe to again, work in a, and apply what you've learned in a work environment, working with a team of people and learning the dynamics of team uh, engagement and problem solving are all skills that you're gonna need in the future and are gonna help you uh, quickly adapt to the work world uh, when you graduate. So those programs, I think, give everyone a leg up. So if you can then take advantage of an internship, uh, if you're in a normal uh, semester uh, program, uh, then do that. But if you have the uh, choice now to connect with a co-op situation that's very defined and keeps the work and the school connected, then I'd be a strong advocate for Kevin University and other programs Uh, that provide that. But since I am a graduate of Kettering and on their trustee board, I'm going to strongly recommend Kettering University as a co-op opportunity for those who are interested, especially in engineering and STEM related uh, careers.
3: That's wonderful. Don't forget that name, Kettering University. So um, January is mentoring month and I'm always excited about this month. But I read something today from the National Science Foundation, which kind of dampened my enthusiasm a little bit. And what I read was that their research shows that even if marginalized students earn degrees, bachelor degrees, they're still less likely to receive mentoring or be retained in STEM careers. So what advice would you give in terms of effective mentoring? What do you do as a mentor? Because I know you've mentored Hundreds of people. What do you do? What would you tell young people in terms of finding a mentor? Um, maybe you can share a success story of you mentoring or, or being mentored to to sort of like uh, you know give us a lift this afternoon.
2: Sure, um, mentoring is uh, like anything else. It's a relationship between two, and so the degree of honesty between the two is what enables that relationship to be meaningful and multiplicative for the mentee especially and rewarding for the mentor. So I I first try to really understand uh, what it is that they think they're trying to accomplish. And that runs the gamut. Maybe they don't know. So then we start there. What are you good at? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you have passion around? What makes you excited? And then we, start, we build from there into uh, career options and decisions that are going to help them. If they're already in, uh, some of it is, how do I adapt myself to my work environment? And so we have that kind of a conversation of how to connect, adapt, and relate in a new environment or to a, a, new, a supervisor or to a work group or work team. And if they have pass that, then it's, How do I optimize or maximize my capabilities or my performance and delivery in the role that I am? And then we have conversations that are going to enable them to understand the problems that they're really set to solve and how they can engage those problems and probably in most cases, more importantly, how they communicate uh, with people they need to get support from or to get um, uh, their their solutions uh, bought into or acknowledged. And so we work through that. And then there's how do I make career choices? So every mentoring relationship uh, should be defined in particular to the person where they are and what they're looking for um, to make the next step. Um, I always tell people you know, who are maybe early on in their career, we could have a conversation for sure. Uh, I can talk to you about things that I encountered and learned when uh, new on my journey. But the reality is, is that someone who's closer to where you are is probably the best source of information because it's fresh in their mind. It's fresh uh, in their uh, repertoire or resume, and they can give you guidance. And people uh, who often need feedback on how well they're doing and what they're uh, working on in in their assignment, They're better off getting mentorship from people who are close enough to see what they're doing on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis so they can give them um, uh, specific and particular feedback. So this mentor-mentee relationship, it's not let's go grab the the person that I I, I dream to become someday. It's it's really grab the person who can help me work through the stage and step I'm in. And sometimes there's a conversation uh, that I need to have with the person who can tell me or give me uh, some inspiration towards what I should dream about. Both are relevant but always make sure that you're being mentored where you are by people who can see where you are and give you good feedback and counsel because they're right close enough to, to help you. Um, so that's how I treat mentorship and that's how I treat mentoring. And yes, I've done it with hundreds of people and none of them have been the same.
3: That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Miss Johnson. I wish we had a lot more time to talk to you this afternoon. Um, But um, I have to uh, throw it back now to Dr. Vaughn. Thank you again, Mr. Johnson. Uh, Dr. Vaughn.
1: Thanks so much, Lango. And and, and incredibly, we are just about at the end of our time for this time. Uh, So uh, before we wrap it up though, uh, Mr. Johnson, could you give us the final word? What's something on your mind uh, that you'd like to leave us with? as we conclude our time together.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mark. First, I wanna thank you guys for um, being great hosts, asking great questions and and giving me an opportunity to share some of my journey. Um, What what I want to leave people with uh, is something that I kind of started with is, do you know who you are and do you know why you are? And as much as you can uh, delve into that space uh, because it's gonna help you answer many of the other particular questions down the road one of my uh favorite books uh, of recent anyway is is start with why by simon sinekin and, and in the book he talks about how inspiring and compelling uh answering the question why is versus what and so when uh lango asked a question and we sit down and ask a 17 year old what do you want to be uh, you know the the inspiration has to start before that sometimes the young man or young lady already has it and they can answer that question they know the why and so they can get to the what and then you can help them work out the how um but if they haven't answered the why yet what is really difficult to answer and how uh becomes uh uh, spaghetti of options uh without designation uh so you know the, the the simple gps is know where i am And know where I'm trying to get helps me figure out all the in-between. If I don't know where I am or who I am, and I don't know why I'm trying to get somewhere and why it should matter, I'm not going to work through all the complications to get there. Know your why. And if you haven't read the book, read the book, Simon, uh, uh, Start With Why.
1: That's such a great point to end on. I'm sure that if people are interested in learning more about your uh, professional role as executive vice president, they, they can find you uh, at the GM uh, website. But as far as your other pursuits, the gathering and, and other uh, activities, is there uh, any way that folks can follow you? Uh, do you have social media, uh, Twitter, anything like that that you might want to let people know about?
2: Absolutely. So um, um, thegatheringchurch.life is the website. The Gathering Church Live is the Facebook Live where we do a lot of our uh, midweek and weekend uh, service work and uh, Bible study. We're running virtually uh, right now uh, uh, in respect for the pandemic. Uh, Of course, we have YouTube, The Gathering Church. You can check out and connect with us through the website. It'll lead you to all the other pieces that I just outlined. So one thing to remember is thegatheringchurch.life.
1: Got it, thank you so much. And again, this has been High Tech Sunday. Our special guest has been uh, Gerald Johnson, Pastor Johnson, Executive Vice President at General Motors. It's been such a great time of sharing and we are so appreciative that you've joined us uh, for Langle Dean and for everyone here at High Tech Sunday. Thank you so much. And I'm gonna hand it back off to Brandon Newby to see us out.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students. And this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page. In addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.